0: One thing that despite the repeal of some of this stuff in Dodd-Frank, community banks can't beat us on speed. If you make a phone call to a private lender, if you make a phone call to me today, within five days, if everything lines up, we can get your money to you. And get the transaction closed.
1: Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, look at what you've the deal you've got and assuming it checks out he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal so debt equity and potentially loan guarantors uh, all you need well you need to find a deal obviously um but besides that you know the other main components of the deal they can help you out with so talk to Mark Belsky his email is m b e l s k y at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875 best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm Joe Fairless. this is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Jeff Levine. How you doing, Jeff? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Jeff, he is a real estate investor, he's an author, and he's a president of Specialty Lending Group. He lends private money in the Washington, D.C. metro region. He's got a book coming out this fall titled The Insider's Guide to Private Lending based in Washington, D.C. So with that being said, Jeff, you want to give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Joe, thanks for having me, and hello to all the Best Ever listeners. I've been in real estate for, gosh, just about three decades, 30 years, and I've seen the real estate industry evolve. I've seen it grow, both at a large and kind of a micro level within the private lending arena. During the past 30 years, as a background on me, I've invested in my own properties. I've done both buy and holds. I've done fix and flips. And one fact about me is I've overseen the origination of $1.5 billion of loans. Around the time of the Great Recession, I founded Specialty Lending Group to help real estate investors revitalize neighborhoods in the DC metro area. And since 2008, I think we've lent real close to $150 million, specifically in the Washington metro area, literally revitalizing neighborhoods. Most of the housing stock, and I'll speak specifically to the geography of Washington, D.C., needs to be remodeled. There are a lot of people, as you know, being in this space— that nobody really wants to buy if you're buying an owner occupied a home, a fixer-upper. Or actually, not no one, very few people. It takes mm-hmm. a special type of person to see the end of a project when, when you don't see, when you're seeing paint that's old. And some places, you remember when people used to have wallpaper, oh, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep, not so, everyone has a vision, right?
0: Yeah, so that's what we do. We've had a lot of fun doing it. And right now, we're specifically targeting the Washington metro area. I've been in D.C. for near 30 years. And really have watched D.C. evolve as a city.
1: Your book coming out this fall is titled The Insider's Guide to Private Lending. What does that entail, The Insider's Guide?
0: In The Insider's Guide to Private Lending, and it is really an insider's guide, I'll walk our readers through the private lending process. People look at the private lending process. They think it's in a foreign language that they don't understand. And in the book, we go through step-by-step step how to find borrowers. I share a lot of personal stories about a borrower who was on the verge of bankruptcy that I lent $2 million to. And we'll talk about, You know, hopefully on this call, be able to share some of the transactions that I've had the privilege of being involved with throughout my career. But the, the Insider's Guide to Private Lending really teaches the reader about the opportunities in private lending. Most people think through a 401k which hopefully most people have and are saving for their retirement, that they can only invest in stocks. We teach in the book that you can start a self-directed IRA and actually invest in private loans. So we cover the gamut. It has a lot of really good stuff for beginners and a lot of really good stuff for people who have been in the industry and can relate to some of the stories that I share in the book.
1: Let's talk about that example. You've piqued my curiosity and perhaps some of the listeners, you had a borrower who was on the verge of bankruptcy, and you lent him $2 million. Please tell us that story.
0: (laughs) You might think I'm crazy. A lot of people do, but let me start from a global perspective. When evaluating private real estate transactions, you look at a number of things to vet the transaction to make sure it makes sense. Whereas I may look at a transaction and consider it very low risk, a banker might look at the transaction and consider it very high risk. So this particular borrower, in the height of the Great Recession in 2008, he was a a big developer. And when I say big developer, he's not buying buildings in every major city, he's buying buildings locally. And at one point, he had, I think, close to $20 million in real estate. Well, come 2008, and he had done a condo conversion, the bank, like many banks, as you remember during the Great Recession, decided to call a lot of their loans, meaning they would make real estate investors pay them off, or they'd foreclose on them. And in many cases, back in 2008, 2009, they offered discounts on these types of loans. So our borrower was in the midst of developing, it was close to 20 condo units in one project. And he had the ability to purchase that note at 50% of the face value. So the borrower was on the verge of bankruptcy because he could have gone under had he not found me or somebody like me to lend him money to buy the condos and then finish the condos and then sell the condos. Mm -hmm. He ended up walking away from that transaction, I think with close to $200,000 in profit after almost being on the verge of filing a bankruptcy. And he turned out to be a good friend too.
1: So the key there was that he had the opportunity at 50% of face value, so he had built-in equity going in? He didn't. Because if he didn't have that, he wouldn't have had the $2 million from you, right?
0: He would not have had the $2 million. I analyzed the perceived risk and the real risk. And the real risk in the transaction was not that the condos wouldn't sell. The real risk is, can the borrower complete the renovation? And that's where a lot of people in the fix and flip world, in the bridge loan world, in the development world, people get screwed up on that. If you ask me the one thing that can hurt real estate investors, it's not having the ability to actually execute on the renovation portion of the loan.
1: And how do you qualify for the execution part?
0: One of the things that I do is if a borrower is doing their own renovations, I obviously ask them what they've done. I go see properties. I trust but verify. And if it's a general contractor that they're hiring, you've got to do diligence on the contractor. What type of projects has the contractor? done if you're going to hire a contractor to do residential condominiums and they only specialize in commercial office buildings you've got to disconnect if you hire a contractor to do condo conversions that's done condo conversions got to match but you've got to do major diligence and i think the best piece of advice if i can share with you and i'm sharing it with private lenders and any real estate investor and i call it the cya the cover your assets there was a situation many years ago And I explain this in my forthcoming book, The Insider's Guide to Private Lending. And I also talk about tangible steps that everybody can take to ensure that you're protecting yourself so that you don't make the same mistakes. So I had a profit share, a joint venture with one of my borrowers, and everything was going great. The borrower finished, and it was time to sell the property. And he conveniently forgot about the profit share, and as a result... I was not legally entitled to the $80,000 profit because I had a lack of documentation. Mm. I share this story in my book, and I share it with audiences that I speak to, with borrowers, with anybody I know. It's so important, the CYA. Well,
1: I'm sure that you had some documentation. So what documentation did you have that you thought at the time was adequate that wasn't?
0: I guess I'm not embarrassed to say it because I learned about it. It's a handshake, wasn't it? Was it a handshake? It was was called a handshake. Yeah, (laughs) the handshake.
1: In today's world. Not even email? Not even an email? Or when was this? How long ago?
0: This was right when I started. I mean, this was 2008. No, this was 2008. I knew better. But because I was doing so many things, I didn't pay attention to the detail. And the detail is making sure that I CYA'd, and and I didn't. I still got paid on the loan but I didn't earn the profit that I had anticipated.
1: And I'm just curious, with this individual, when you said, hey, yeah, we did loan, but also we had that profit share component, did they say, no, we didn't? Or did they say, screw you, buddy, not gonna do that? The
0: latter, but not exactly in those words. I did all the work, all you did was put up the money, and you're not entitled to any profit.
1: Got it, okay, cool. So they didn't say that there wasn't an agreement, they just said that- I did all the work, so now I don't want you to have the profit.
0: That's exactly right. Cool. And that's why, had I had it documented, there would be absolutely no questions.
1: How about another deal that you've done with a borrower, good or bad? Sounds like your book's chock full of stories. So how about another one for us?
0: Let me start with a good one.
1: Well, both of these have been real good.
0: Besides the fact that I've bought and sold a lot of real estate and I've made money and I've lost money on transactions, and most importantly, I've learned. But the best transaction that I've ever done, and it brings a smile to my face just to think about, the borrower is a friend of mine named Johnson. Johnson also was a big developer in the Great Recession and had challenges with his marriage, i.e. he was losing money and his wife wasn't happy. And his wife said, you can go ahead and do one more project. But you can only invest, I think it was close to $80,000. And Johnson had identified a building that was a 14-unit building, I believe, 14, 15 units that he was going to add an additional three units to. He said, Jeff, I need to borrow the money for six months. At the end of six months, I will have revitalized, renovated this building. I will have added three units. And I will have a lease with the VA for five years. And I said, Johnson... I like you. I've went to you before. I said, that sounds a bit ambitious. Why don't we do a year loan? He said, no, I only want for six months. At month six, not only did Johnson do everything he said he was going to do and refinanced, he refinanced, he cashed out his initial down payment. He had $10,000 a month of positive cash flow after he went to a traditional community bank to get a loan. And he had a million dollars in built-in equity in the building. Wow. That is the best transaction that I have done that was a win-win. And we made some money for my company and for my investors. And Johnson has since graduated, meaning he is now going to community banks. But he comes back from time to time when he needs money quickly and he comes to borrow from us.
1: Mm -hmm. That's my
0: best feel-good lending story.
1: You said he's graduated and he's gone to community banks. So what are the key differences between what you offer private money and what community banks would offer generally?
0: I think we offer as private lenders one thing that despite the repeal of some of this stuff in Dodd-Frank, community banks can't beat us on speed. If you make a phone call to a private lender, if you make a phone call to me today, within five days, if everything lines up, we can get your money to you and get the transaction closed. When I say graduated, what I mean is community banks typically have lower rates. They take longer periods of time and they can do loans for longer periods of time, i.e. fixed for 5, 10 years, sometimes straight amortized over 20. So when I say a lot of beginning investors start out with private lenders and then move to community banks, so that's what I mean when I say graduate.
1: What's a good losing money story?
0: Well, I can tell some stories, not many about losing money, but there was a time where I made four loans to one borrower, and I was clearly way too concentrated. Mm -hmm. And I ended up taking small principal haircuts on each one of them to get out of them. Now, what happens when private lenders lose money is time is money. And that expression is very true in private lending, because whether you're lending your own capital or you're lending capital on behalf of investors like myself, in addition to my own capital, the time value of money, we ended up selling each property at an average of a $10,000 discount. So we lost $40,000 in comparison to our overall pool. It wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. But the lesson I learned is walk before you run and trust and verify because this borrower had said they had done a number of flips and these stories are all from the two thousand eight kind of nine, ten years ago. But it's no fun to lose money, Joe. It's absolutely no fun.
1: You mentioned you're too concentrated, but I imagine and perhaps I'm about to put words in your mouth, but I imagine you have loans, like four plus loans with one borrower. So was it the too concentrated? aspect that got you in trouble with this one borrower or was it the due diligence aspect?
0: It was, I jumped in too quickly. Instead of making one loan to a borrower, I made four at once. At the time, my pool of funds was maybe 20 loans. So I was too concentrated with this one borrower.
1: And that was the first time with this borrower?
0: That was the first and obviously the last time with the borrower. (laughs) Fair enough. But I think if you ask me, One of the biggest mistakes that I've made as a private lender is not actually going inside the property. Years ago, I remember when I was pressed for time, I drove by a property that I was going to lend on, but I didn't go inside. Mm -hmm. The guy was a paralegal. I thought he was responsible. And as it turned out, it was being used for illicit activity, if you will. (laughs) Um, So we had to take down all of the drywall after we ended up foreclosing. So not that I know that smell, but you can imagine what the house looked like on the inside. Mm. So that's a good tip you, for, for you.
1: So you personally go inside of the properties prior to lending on them?
0: One of my staff does. I used to go into every single property. Not only did I go into every single property, I inspected as the work was being done. But as our pool has grown over the years, it's impossible for me to do that. So if it's close to my office or if it's in Metro Washington, D.C., I'll try to get there. But a lot of the neighborhoods I know, but I do have my people go in and take interior pictures and make sure that what a borrower says that they want to do can actually be done.
1: And I'm glad you mentioned that because we have a decent amount of best ever listeners who are interested in lending their money to others, myself included. I don't personally do private money lending, but down the road, I can see myself doing it like a decade from now or something where I want to put some of my focus towards it. I will still do what I'm doing now, but maybe do a little bit of private lending on the side. So one thing you said, a mistake that you made early on, but now you don't do that, is not going inside the property. What are some other mistakes that first-time private money lender might make?
0: This is a good question, Joe, and I don't want to plug my book again. Plug it. I don't, the, if you got answers in the
1: book, please tell me. The
0: Insider's Guide to Private Lending. It will share a lot of do's and don'ts, but the biggest thing is getting to know your borrower, getting to know who you're lending to. And this boots back to the story that I shared about how I did not document the $80,000 profit. Guess what? Had I documented it, I may or may not have gotten it. Agreements are only as good as the two people that make them. If I shake your hand and you shake my hand and you're a good guy and I'm a good guy and we believe in the old adages that hard work pays off, good things happen to good people. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Then what happened to me But you really need to dig deep and get to know your borrower. You need to look at their credit report. And if it doesn't say nice things, find out what happened and find out why. That is tip number one, is to find out who your borrower is. If they're an experienced real estate investor, not only look at what they've done, look at the quality of what they've done. You can learn a lot on the internet about almost anything, Mm -hmm. and especially about pieces of real estate. So I guess tip number one, I would say, is to know your borrower. Mm -hmm. Tip number two is to know your renovator, the person actually doing the job. Because sometimes these renovators don't do the work and ultimately the person who's gonna do the work is the general contractor. So it's important to know who the general contractor is. And also to have realistic expectations. You know, Johnson, though I thought he was overly aggressive, he came through, but that's few and far between. If you're a private lender, and you think your funds are going to be out for 6 months, don't expect them back for 9, even though it would be great if you get them back in 6. That can really derail your lending process and in turn your reputation as a private lender if you don't have capital for a deal that you've committed to do.
1: It's great stuff. Based on your experience as a private lender and also 30 years in the industry, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Two words, buy and hold. So my That's 3. funny. I, my best three words buy and hold so i'm a buy and hold investor even though i've been involved in hundreds of transactions in one way or another not as a lender as an owner the most value i've seen is by buying a piece of real estate improving it or getting it rented transitioning it and stabilizing it and if you're using private money which is candidly the way i started this business as i borrowed Private money to buy a 20 unit apartment building and put up at that time all of the assets I had to do it right now i'm in addition to being a lender an author and a speaker, one of the things that I do is I like to buy and hold real estate and operate it and create a flow of passive income and that's how generational wealth is created.
1: you still have that 20 unit?
0: No, so let me tell you about the 20 units and this is a funny story so I end up buying a 20 unit building. In one of the roughest parts of Washington, and arguably still a tough part, though D.C. has really gentrified, if you will, meaning in terms of income, from lower income to higher income. So I buy this building. I owned at that time two condos in Georgetown that were lowly leveraged, and I had, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in cash. I put up some cash and I pledge both buildings. I buy a 20-unit building. I self-manage it. They're mostly voucher recipients, so public housing. And I ended up buying it, and I thought I was going to continue to buy buildings, and I got tied up in something called TOPA. For those who don't know what TOPA is, in the District of Columbia, it's called the Tenants Opportunity to Purchase Act, and tenants basically have the first right of refusal to buy buildings. So I got caught up in this lawsuit, and the lawsuit ended up getting dismissed and defended by title insurance. I had done nothing wrong. When I bought the building, I used hard money. I refinanced it, and that's when the lawsuit happened after I refinanced it. So I'd stabilized it, and I sold that building, and I made a million dollars, half in cash and half in a tax deduction because I sold it to a nonprofit. What that did for me is that started Specialty Lending Group and really got me into private lending. I used that half a million dollars, and now we've turned half a million dollars into over $150 million in loans.
1: So clearly what you chose to do with those proceeds worked out. I'm curious, though, if you had just made 500k in cash on this project, why not continue to do what you had just done to make that money and buy another apartment building?
0: Good question, and I have since bought multiple apartment buildings. I saw an opportunity. There were people that were calling me that said, I can buy this property, fix it up, and sell it. I can buy this property, hold it in my rental portfolio. So for me, it was a win. I didn't like the location. That's why I was okay parting with it. And the top three things in real estate are location, location, location. That area, now fast forward, I sold it 10 plus years ago, is still not stabilized. So the opportunity that I saw in front of me in the private lending space far outweighed holding this one building.
1: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is m B-E-L-S-K-Y at easterneq.com. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com that's TargetMarketInsights.com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read?
0: Oh, good question. I read a lot of books, so it's hard to highlight the best one that I've ever read. I'm currently reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. It breaks down about the importance of vulnerability in relationships and how being open and honest with your team and other people in your life can lead to innovative ideas, better workflow, and so much more.
1: Best ever deal you've done that you haven't talked about already?
0: Oh, good question. Best deal I've ever done is I identified a piece of real estate that was off-market, and I told you about the deal that I sold the 20 units. I also sold this piece of property, so I'm talking about two sales, not the other real estate that I own. I identified an off-market piece of real estate, and I sold it 13 months later actually it was 12 months and 2 days and made a profit of a million and a half dollars that happened about 3 years ago and it happened with the help of my wife who encouraged me to buy the piece of real estate
1: best ever way you like to give back
0: best way i like to give back is to our youth one of the things that i do is i volunteer during the school year at a public high school kind of with uh Not so much special needs, but inner city kids that would benefit from an entrepreneur like myself. I volunteer at Ballou High School. It's a school in Southeast Washington, D.C.
1: Best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you and learn more about what you got going on.
0: Best way to get in touch with me is by email. And I encourage you to go to Amazon to take a look and purchase or give a review of my forthcoming book, The Insider's Guide to Private Lending. I am also starting a personal website, and that's the website you can view at www.jeff, jeffnlevin.com. Jeff My name is spelled L-E-V-I-N Levin, but pronounced Levine. So I think that is probably the best way to get in touch with me is through the jeffandlevine.com website.
1: Really enjoyed our conversation. You talked about mistakes first time private money lenders can make. One is we got to get to know the borrower, or so the mistake would be they don't get to know the borrower. Some tips that you have, always look at the credit report. Make sure you've got the background story of why things are the way they are look at the experience, not only look at their experience, but look at the quality of the projects that they've worked on and know the renovator. So know the general contractor might not be the same person. And as a lender, have realistic expectations. So in order to have realistic expectations, we need to know what realistic expectations are. And one example that you gave is if it's a six-month project, expect nine months, be pleasantly surprised with six months and document, 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 The contractual stuff. Handshakes are great, but I think you'll want to document things. And really cool hearing about your 20-unit building as well as what you did with the proceeds when you saw an opportunity in the lending industry. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best-ever day, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, Joe. Talk to you soon.
1: The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about Target Market's through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at TargetMarketInsights.com. That's TargetMarketInsights.com.